Welcome, this is Mind the Shift and I am Anders. As many of you know, I used to work as a journalist. I worked as a journalist for more than 20 years at one of the biggest uh, newspapers or maybe the biggest newspaper in Sweden. And back in the summer of 2020, I quit my job at that at that uh, big newspaper. And my guest today quit her job at uh, one of the biggest news desks in America that same summer. Welcome to the show, Ariana Pekari. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, I'm glad that we're able to connect, for sure. Yeah, me too. This is going to be amazing. Two journalists talking about the problems of journalism. <laughs> How yeah. good can it get? Uh, <laughs> you, you took an unconventional and bold step when you quit your job at MSNBC, one of the main uh, TV news desks uh, in America, the big ones, uh, without having any other media job waiting for you. That was two and a half years ago. And I myself, of course, I quit my job, uh, uh, which was fairly high status uh, in a way. But I kind of sneaked out the back door in the middle of the pandemic. And just I just wanted to, you know, finally be able to do my own thing. And I certainly didn't write any resignation letter, but you did, and it went viral. Uh, you wrote, um, for example, the following, and I'm I'm summarizing a bit here. Okay, so you write you wrote this: behind closed doors, industry leaders will admit the damage that's being done. We are a cancer, and there is no cure. A successful and insightful TV veteran said to me, but if you could find a cure, it would change the world. As it is. This cancer stokes national division, even in the middle of a civil rights crisis. This cancer risks human lives, even in the middle of a pandemic. This cancer risks our democracy, even in the middle of a presidential election. There is a better way to do this. I'm not so cynical as to think that we're absolutely doomed, although we're on that path. I know we can find a cure. Strong words there. Uh, now, what kind of a cancer is this that you're talking about, Ariana? Well, uh, it's the cancer of the related to the structure of the industry, which is um, it's based on financial incentives. Um, they're uh, they're all they think about every day is what is going to rate the best. Um, I hate to oversimplify things like that because they are um, professional journalists, skilled, very smart people. Um, but that really skews over time all of the content, and so all of the polarization that we see throughout the the country here. I mean, it's it's global, but um, here in the United States, uh, some of so so much of that is amplified um, due to those financial incentives and. It's a cancer because no one feels like it's something that you can fix. Um, it permeates everything and it, 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 it seeps into every newsroom, no matter how earnest the journalists are. And then that seeps into everybody's living rooms who are, you know, sitting there watching and that transpires, you know, around family dinner time. And, you know, people argue with their, with their own good friends and, um, but no one seems to have an answer for how how to address that problem. Um, I think there are things that we can be doing that that would address it, but um, it, it's a cancer because it's such an enormous problem that infects everyone, and it's incredibly damaging. 
and we're only, it's, it's only getting worse. So that's why I, I um, felt the need to, to, to say that in a public place, I didn't want to damage or hurt my former colleagues. Um, but I can tell you <laughs> it's no secret inside the building. And, um, you know, most of, you know, these people, they all have families and responsibilities and obligations and mortgages. And I don't blame them because it is such, you feel very helpless um, there. As I had started looking around for other places to go, um, every everyone, you know, the word I was getting back is it's basically the same place everywhere else. So I didn't want to just quit that job and go to another similar job in another newsroom and face the same frustrations. So um, that is why I ended up resigning without having um, another place to go. And um, I've been trying to figure things out since then. And um, it is, <laughs> it's a very difficult problem to address. Yeah, but it's amazing that you've started to address it and, and you're starting to develop um, and uh, kind of um, lay out uh, alternative solutions to, to, to the problem and, and how to fix it, which we will come back to, of course. But what was it that finally made you take that step? What what was the final nail in the coffin, as it were, that made you take that step and, and actually actually quit back in the summer of 2020? Was there any particular event or so? Well, I, I guess I had been kind of planning on resigning that spring anyway. I had been, you know, I was at MSNBC for seven years. In the first few years, it was, I come from public radio um, and... I kind of ended up in cable news accidentally. Uh, I was hired to work on a specific show that had started in public radio. And then they, um, uh, the actor Alec Baldwin had a, had a podcast at, that I'd worked on. And then he started a show at MSNBC. And that to me was going to be, you know, my dream job. Um, but that got canceled pretty quickly after, after it started for various reasons. Um, and I, I kind of ended up at MSNBC and tried to make the most of it. The first few years were very difficult and confusing. I didn't understand how what was driving their editorial decisions as much as I was trying to, you know, pitch and contribute. Um, over time, um, I kind of acclimated and gained some seniority. And it was in the last, you know, three or four years when I realized, okay, there, there really is a problem here. And, and um, you know, seeing, you know, how, you know, what happened through the 2016 election and on, um, I was in some of the more senior um, editorial meetings and on a daily basis making those decisions. And so that's when I started to realize what the problem was. But then I started reaching out to people finding, you know, who was working on this? Where else could I go to address this? There wasn't any, there's nobody working on this problem. The the obvious problems in TV news, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. And um, so I was kind of at a loss and I was like, you know, uh, uh, do I start something on my own, which I was kind of thinking, you know, I, you know, tried exploring some fellowships. Um, so I planned to resign in April of 2020. Well, March comes along and I was like, I, I you know, I can't oh, yeah. quit my job in the middle, you know, in the middle of this with there. so much uncertainty. Mm. Um, but it was, it was over those next few months um, when I saw that they, you know, initially in the first, the first few weeks, they, um, I think they really tried to put forth journalism earnestly. You know, they were getting, you know, doctors on the front line. 
and um, trying to get as many scientists as they could. Uh, they started a weekly show um, featuring a doctor who and and a scientist who really knew you know was a very capable of carrying on a conversation. So it was a, you know they were dedicating the full hour once a week to this to the COVID special. And um, oh, after two or three weeks, they realized that that wasn't rating as well as some of the other, you know, hmm. you know, political shows. So then it became partisan or, or so. Yeah. Yes. And so they slowly killed that off. And um, all of our COVID segments really turned into political segments. The science that was coming out, there were studies and information coming from all over the world. Um, and we had um, access to some excellent scientists, um, but that those segments also either um, the science was, you know, pushed down below or sidelined altogether in lieu of the, the politics um, of the day. And, you know, I feel like there's kind of a time and a place for everything, but, um, but the science was really kept getting pushed, pushed aside. Hmm. We were in the middle, you know, the George Floyd crisis started um, yeah. in, uh, I guess, the end of May and into June, and the which was an enormous crisis. And they, I saw them making the same types of editorial decisions based on what they thought was going to rate the best. Um, and then, of course, with the the general election itself, um, so we were in the middle of all these major crises, and they still weren't going to make the right decision. I mean, it, yeah. I, I just couldn't like, and at that point I was like, the country is probably, you know, in my lifetime yeah. anyway, um, certainly it's never been worse. And even then um, they're yeah. not going to make editorial decisions for the right reasons. So that that's okay. really what, it was a combination of, of all of that um, that really tipped me over. And so by <laughs> July, I decided I, I have to, you know, I, I'm not, I have to resign and I have yeah. to say something. Yeah. Now you came from from public radio before that. You were at uh, National pa Public Radio for many years, or how many years? I, I started at NPR, the mothership in DC, and then I went and worked at local stations in San Francisco um, okay. for a while, and then um, I worked at another public radio program uh, for seven years. So, what was the main difference between working for a public company, public radio like that, and working for this commercial? commercially based uh, uh, cable network uh, as MS Embassy is. What's the main, what's the main difference? Uh, the, I, the main difference is that uh, the, in public radio, we never considered how big the audience was gonna be for a specific topic. Um, we always wanted compelling material that we thought would interest people. Um, but there was never a discussion of, uh, oh, this did better. This did well last time we did it. Let's try to repeat that, or that didn't do well the last time we did that. Let's try not. Let's try to avoid that subject. Um, and that was built into the process at MSNBC. Um, it was, um, you know, they would look at what rated well yesterday to see what did, you know, what they were going to do the subsequent day or vice versa, you know, if something didn't do well the day before they, they were going to kill it out of the show. And those ratings come out every day um, in cable at four o'clock broken down by quarter hour. So they, they had a pretty good idea of, you know, where the, you know, what, 
kept the audience or what didn't. I mean, there are many, I mean, it's a flawed process altogether because there could be any reasons why, you know, the audience went down or up, you know, maybe there's something else on TV or something. Of course. Yeah. Or is but, the weather is nice. Um, Everybody's out walking or whatever. Or maybe there's a ball game on that people yeah, change yeah, the channel sure. or something. It, it, it could be anything, but that yeah. that's what they used um, on a regular basis. And in public radio, we didn't even get those numbers. So you didn't? Uh, no, no, no. No numbers I mean, at all? We, you basically didn't know how many people were, were listening to what you were doing. We had a general idea because we would get like annual numbers. So okay. there were, um, the, you know, the, the, those were the numbers that I had access to anyway. But they, we certainly weren't getting the numbers on a day to day basis broken down like that. Um, so and, you know, I've talked to people at NPR since then. and They were like, absolutely not. We don't get those numbers. Mm. So um There, that is not driving the editorial decisions. And so that allows the journalists there to, to have real live editorial debates, you know, mm. and they, you know, it is hard to decide what gets prominence in a broadcast from day to day, because you only have so many hours, you only have so many minutes mm. and um, you do have to make choices. Uh, you can't put everything on and you can't just add another page or, you know, another column to extend your coverage. You, you yeah. do have to make choices But and, So what do those editors go by then at, at national radio? It's interesting to know. What's what do they go by? What's what's the criteria? Um, I think it is Is it based on a, on, a, on an ongoing discussion every day or Yeah, I, it, it's a combination I think of um how much new information is there? Um uh how many people is this going to affect? Is this really relevant to people's lives? Or is it just, is it banal content that appeals to kind of, you know, uh, you know, trying to get a visceral reaction? I think they want, you know, and they really are looking for kind of data-driven material. So is this affecting a large population? Is this having a significant scientific effect? Um, there's, it, it, it's quantified much more so, I would say. But not in terms of the audience it's quantified in terms of um you know what you know uh what the news value is so can you give give, give us a couple of example of big jobs that you did there and that you love doing in public radio yeah oh yeah um i did uh you know a radio documentary about homeless children i was able to spend the bulk of a year going out from you know shelter to shelter to interview families and um, workers who worked with um, those uh, vulnerable people and got their stories and um, was able to humanize them. Um, and, um, you know, that, that that is a population that doesn't get a lot of recognition. You know, if it, if it does, it's like, oh, homelessness is a problem in San Francisco. Hmm. Um, without going in and talking to the people and, you know, saying, you know, why are you here? We were able to do that. And that that's the sort of thing that public radio here anyway does um, value and, and um, thinks is important. So that that's the sort of thing um, we did a lot on veterans affairs. And I did a lot on, on veterans affairs and public radio in terms of, you know, there were some crises. Um, there were uh, the, uh, the department of veterans affairs had a, a large, backlog of cases. So veterans were going to VA facilities, trying to get resources and help and healthcare. And um, 
they weren't able to for long periods of time because of this backlog. And it was, you know, the, the systems that they were using were antiquated and it was a long problem that it had been around for, for many years, but it kind of um, culminated coming out of the Iraq war. You know, there were, there was more demand and there wasn't enough, there weren't able to help um, veterans quickly enough. There was also the problem with suicides. Um, and uh, I covered that, fairly extensively in public radio. Yeah. And then when I got to MSNBC, I thought that they would also want to cover these types of topics um, yeah. because, you know, that appeals to a more liberal audience, I think. And, and, and um, uh, whether it's immigrants or, or, or veterans or um, uh, low people on low, very low income. Um, but those topics weren't, I wasn't able to get those on. Um, they might consider them, but it would be the first thing that they would kill. Um, when something else came along, yeah. so it was it was a big big difference between. So it was it was a thing that you could have it on on the back burner. Um, I mean, uh, indefinitely, more or less. Right, right. Yeah. But in public radio, they would make space for it because they yeah. they value um, that type of content. So, well, we, we can just say a few words about MSNBC because I think um, we we come back to the partisanship in in this context as well. And MSNBC, as far as I understand, is one of the cable networks that are most associated with the Democratic Democratic Party. Is that correct? As yes. opposed to Fox News, which is the one that is mostly associated with the Republican Party. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what about CNN? Is that also on the on the so-called left-hand side? <laughs> I think a lot of people would say that it is. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think CNN has kind of carved out a place where they kind of um try to do what works best for them so uh they try to present themselves and for many years they tried to kind of do straight news um down the middle mm. and that was a successful model for them um through the trump years that they def i would say they definitely um leaned over to the became more opinionated yeah. and uh less repertorial which is you know um you know, I think there's a time and a place for all of that, but it was, I think it was probably confusing for the audience because they definitely um, were uh, uh, pretty aggressive against Trump, but at the same time they would have on, you know, conservative Republican voices and that would create this kind of, you know, boxing match type material. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it was, you know, you would have both sides going at it. Um, you know, one of the, you know, Anderson Cooper, I think for a long time was trusted by many different types of people. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the, one to, of the anchors. Yeah. Yes. One of the, the hosts there. Mm. And um, he got to the point where he was comfortable saying on air that, you know, he equated Trump to an obese turtle flailing on his back. And, you know, <laughs> I think it's, it's, you know, I think some of that is for the entertainment value, which, you know, I, I, you know, you know, there's some, some humor in that, type of statement mm -hmm. um but that isn't uh that's editorializing in a way that i think old time cnn would not have done and um and then now there's there's new management at cnn and so they've they've kind of they're reining in some of that opinion um some people worry that they're 
trying to make it more conservative because some some of the leadership has been flexing their muscles who are more conservative. I don't know how that's all going to pan out, but they are definitely kind of ro- rolling back some of that opinion. Yeah. So um, what about the other big networks? Uh, is there another one besides Fox that is associated with the Republican Party uh, clearly? Well, there's, you know, OAN, One America Network. Um, uh, there are other conservative outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them started off streaming. Um, they don't have a very big audience. So Fox is still still the, yeah. the dominant. Um, okay. Now, this is the, uh, I mean, we have this, this partisan thing, I think, is pretty specifically american i would say i mean we have it in the in europe as well but not as salient it's not as salient it's it's, it's a different story uh, in, in many respects but anyway we'll, we'll get back to that but i mean you began this uh, criticism um in the in the um you began criticizing what news the problems of news media in terms of the commercialization and that's what you have been talking mostly about so d- would you say that that commercialization is the main culprit behind behind uh, biased the biased news media at least in the united states i think it gives bias license is is the big problem um we all are going to have some sort of bias you know that's yeah we're human i mean we're (laughs) there's no such thing as objectivity if you're a human being (laughs) in a way Um, but yes um but the commercial is of it just amplifies it and gives people makes people feel emboldened to and you know in this day and age i know you know i've talked to cnn correspondents who well not very many not one or two who have left that organization and complain that they they're expected um to be very active on twitter and getting have a large following and that requires you to to editorialize and give your opinion more and so journalists and that is you know built into their contracts that they they you know they 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 aren't supposed only supposed to be reporting you know as their normal job but they're supposed to be active on social media and and creating a following so that that all then in turn increases you know their fault you know their followers on tv Hmm. so um all of you know it's the social media and and the, the the model of tv that really compound those problems yeah. That's an interesting um, thing. I mean, you mentioned that. Yeah, sorry. Go on. Um, so that plays out in terms of the, the partisanship. Um, you know, people, they, uh, reporters aren't as, you know, if, you, if you're just strictly repertorial, that's not as exciting as if someone says, you know, um, Congressman, you know, Bob Smith is is a nut job. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, if you if you tweet something like that or you know or if you're you know very critical of this particular politician um that's going to stimulate that you know, you know I'm, I'm not telling telling you anything that's that's surprising that's going to stimulate a lot more reaction out of people rather than you know just some a factual statement about them you know um and yeah. so that gives them incentive which is essentially license to to push the boundaries and um and then then we start to get away from straight journalism and that's confusing again that's confusing to the audience i think 
But don't you think the audience is is wise enough or smart enough to realize that this is exactly what's going on, and they can they can uh, make their own assessment, they can make their own judgment about what's being said on the different outlets, or, or I mean, by the different outlets, or I mean, are they are people stupid? <laughs> no, um, they aren't. I think they are um, pretty. They're they are sophisticated, but at the same time, I think there is some confusion because if say MSNBC kind of broke down their day and they're like during the day, they call it MSNBC reports, which is supposed to be now more straight reporting. And then at night it's the more opinion shows, mm -hmm. but they don't really explain that. And so the hosts at night in prime time, they're expected to give an opinion and they're, they're expected to, 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 um, get that visceral reaction out of people versus just straight reporting but they're all sitting at a desk you know the the optics are still the same there's nothing to indicate this is opinion versus fact-based reporting so and and it's easier to blur those lines so okay. if you have someone who they trust and they they say something that's going to have an effect on them they're you know it's easier to run off with that and and, and think of that as as fact when it's not you know, you know, even within the Democratic Party, obviously there are various opinions about how things should be handled. And, um, you know, my experience there was that the ones that, whether it's politicians or experts with some sense of nuance, um, any sense of moderation, they were the first ones to get canceled as well. So the mm. people who were the, the, you know, the loudest speakers or the most colorful speakers, they tended to get prominence because they would, you know, gin up the audience um, a bit more. And so, um, and I think over time that, that skews the audience. And so, uh, skews the content and that, it, you know, that, that does become a little bit more confusing for the audience. Yeah. But maybe it's a self-perpetuating thing because there is also a lot of pressure, which is never, outspoken really I mean there, there there are some there are all kinds of ideas among journalists about what is the right thing to do and what is the wise thing to do and what what's what topics are important and what are not important and where should we be looking and where should we not be looking and you know it's a kind of skewed and biased just uh, uh, by virtue of choosing some topic and cho choosing some ways of describing things and not choosing other ways of describing things so it's it's I think it's I more and more think that it's actually fairly impossible, actually, to be to be objective and to be, I mean, uh, just the, the mere fact that you choose to tell a story, that means that you don't tell another story. There's another story that you don't tell. That you, So, I mean, you, you can't, I mean, to be completely, to, to cover the whole world, how it plays out, how it works, how people are, what people are feeling, what people are doing, what people are thinking, you would have to tell 12 angle story about every single event uh, 24/7 you you see you see my point it's it's not that easy <laughs> it's very complicated it's yeah. very complicated um i think my reaction to that though is that msnbc they um they essentially kind of repeat the same five or six topics every hour hour after hour throughout the day and they decide that you know, these are the topics that we're going to cover because it's they think it's easier for the audience to follow the same narrative or a, few, or a smaller number of stories versus, you know, if I if we had that opportunity in public radio, you know, you know, we had a show that was an hourly show once a day. If we had more than one hour, 
we would have been covering so much more. And um, I, I, the way that they really um, filter out, so you, you're right, like every time you make an editorial choice, that means something else isn't getting covered. I just feel like there could be so much more coverage that was um, a lot more informative throughout the day um, rather than repeating the same content hour after hour. Yeah. And um, again, that, that tends to, to skew the coverage and what. Yeah. And it, dump, it dumps, it dumps, it dumps information down in a way. So I, yeah, I think you're right there. Mm -hmm. I agree, <laughs> but there is another bias that, that I've been writing and talking a lot about. I mean, I actually wrote a whole book about it. It wasn't just about journalism, but it's, it was about this um, negativity bias that we have, which is a human trait, a human property, I guess, <laughs> but it's very salient, prominent within journalism, this negativity bias that we, I mean, decisions are made, as you say, based on how many views and clicks and reads stories we'll get. But, but I mean, the negativity bias is just as strong, if not stronger. And this is in play in every editor's mind at every news desk. I mean, I'm sure even at national public radio, it's considered more serious to be negative than to be positive. And yeah. we have this narrative that uh, if th if something is sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. But we never say that something is too bad to be true, which is actually the, often, very, very often the case. But that's, I mean, no journalists are digging into that. I mean, many of the stories we hear around, I mean, just as an example, I'm, 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 I'm pretty interested in the climate issue and I know a lot about the climate issue and, and, and many of the, th the things that are being told out there are simply not true because they're uh, but they they sound bad and they sound alarming and that's why they are being conveyed all the time perpetually by by all kinds of media maybe not so much the the right-wing media in the United States but but I mean in Europe it's it doesn't really matter if it's right-wing or left-wing as long as it's alarmist it sells if it bleeds it leads so then out with it and I have a problem with that. So, what, what do you what do you think? Do you do you think that this is a problem? Is are you do you agree with me on that? I do, um, and but that also is, that's a complicated problem because uh, you know it's you're going to report on something when it's broken. Um, Why? If things are if things are working okay, then yeah. But if don't if people don't know that things are working, why shouldn't we tell them that? Maybe they maybe they think that that the world is falling apart, and it, it turns out that no, it's not. It's actually working pretty well. Shouldn't we tell them that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, I um, don't know exactly what you're you're talking about with the the, the climate reporting. Well, um, we can we can we can talk about, for instance, uh, we can take the COVID uh, COVID thing. I mm. think that disease was actually. I mean, it was a disease. It was a big problem, but I mean, it wasn't the end of the world. But it was depicted as that in some instances, actually. And there were a lot of reporting of of deaths, and there were mainly, you know, 82, 83 year olds that died instead of they died when they were 83 instead of 84. So I mean, uh, I mean, compared to the Spanish flu, for instance, when 18 year old boys died in in droves, which was a much much bigger problem for society. Uh, and and ha, ha, you could see the dance in the in the demographic curves afterwards, which you can't do now because I mean, young people didn't die actually. But 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 anyway, 
there was there were lockdowns and close uh, schools were closed and and uh, borders were closed and it was i mean it was just terrible we haven't had lockdowns even during wartime before so i think it was extremely exaggerated the decisions by the by the politicians in this case <laughs> were extremely exaggerated and they just threw out the the window all these old the pandemic plans that were in place since 20 years back they just threw them out the window because they saw that Chinese were 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 doubling down on this, so they thought that they were going to do the same. And uh, and the journalists just um, followed suit. They didn't. They didn't. Crit- they, I mean, they they actually conveyed the same story that this is terrible. It is a disaster, uh, and uh, I'm very critical towards that. I think they should have had more, you know, be more cool and be more scientific and be more. Uh, yeah, fact-based actually in 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 telling what was going on with the, with the, with the pandemic. That's that's my that's my opinion. That's another example. I don't know if you if you agree on that. Um, I see what you're saying in hindsight, but I think at the time, you know, working in those newsrooms, all we saw were you know hospitals were getting flooded, um, doctors and nurses were overworked, and they couldn't handle the capacity of the the people who were there. So. I think that's what we were reacting to. There was so much that wasn't known. Um, there were so many unknowns. And so I think, um, um, I'm guessing that's what politicians were reacting to was it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, and that's probably what the journalists did. I, I you know, I, I do think there's, that's a fair statement that journalists should have been digging into the numbers better and say, you know, okay, if hospitals are flooded, who are, who, who are those patients? That are flooding the hospital line. Yeah, and, um, and there were a lot of data. If, if if people, if journalists just looked, there was there was a lot of data, and there were a lot of studies showing. I mean, what actually was going on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you didn't you didn't just need to listen to Anthony Fauci and his uh, press conferences. There were other sources as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and there is that um, to your point about the negativity bias. There is this idea of like, oh, we have to you know kind of run around like chicken little and, and scream the sky is falling um, yeah. when it might not, not be falling, but that's what, what they feel like they have to do and say to, to get people's attention. Unfortunately here on climate change, I feel like that that is a topic that we don't cover that much. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's being covered all the time and it's being, and, and it's fear mongered constantly in all the mainstream media every, every day, all the time. And by politicians, and by organizations leaders, and by the UN chief, and by the Pope, and by Greta Thunberg, and by everybody, even big corporate corporative leaders, they're all saying that this is a an enormous problem. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at, for instance, uh, extreme weather events, I don't know if you know this, but th- they haven't they haven't gone up, and it's in the IPCC report. You don't read that in. The media you don't hear that in the media it's actually true and you, you can have Antonio Guterres says that it's code red for humanity and extreme weather events have gone up 500 percent and this is it's I mean I, I can't even believe that he's saying a thing like that it's it's just completely false it's completely false it's I mean just as false as when Donald Trump says that his inauguration crowd was the biggest in history that was obviously a lie this is just this is on the same in the same ballpark actually. 
Um, and this is not mentioned. So, I mean, we don't, we don't, we maybe shouldn't go into detail about what is and what is not true about the climate change and what's reported about that. But I, I mean, I, I, I can get upset by that, that no journalist is digging into this. No, no journalist is, is checking the facts. I mean, a few like me and a few others, of course, but. Um, um, well, I can, you know, I, from my perspective, they're not really dedicating much time and effort into looking into that data. They, you know, they, um, I saw those segments um, canceled throughout my time at MSNBC and there wasn't really any, you know, um, whether validation or scrutiny of that data coming out. They were, they, they didn't really put any resources on that topic. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, that was the frustration is, is, you know, um, and I am fairly independent and I, I don't really have a horse in the game one way or the other. I, my thing is just being able to get the you know relevant information out there. And unless, you know, my experience in, in cable news, unless it was a topic that was, um, you know, we, you know, they call, called it the red meat, something that, you know, would, would get a rise out of people. Um, they tended not to do it. it. They, and when I was producing segments, I would, you know, I remember them saying, um, rather frequently don't get too far in the weeds on this which is you know don't really dig down into the data just kind of keep it at the, at the head little headline level for discussion hmm. and, you know, why, why did they say why did they say that do you think because they think that that you would lose the audience okay um if you get too detailed on a topic yeah. and you know the segments that they were you know they would plan for you know maybe four or five minutes for a segment and that's really hard to get real useful information um you're trying to pack you know if you're really trying to pack useful information that's fact-based and researched and fact-checked um that is really not enough time for that type of a discussion um, unless it's a longer discussion that's been edited down mm. um, and they don't do that you know everything is live so um you know, that was that was my frustration is that they wanted to keep everything, you know, whatever the headline, you know, they kind of would work off the headlines and um, um, and they they because they were afraid of losing the audience if it got too detailed. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Do, do you think that journalists are like to be I mean, they, they're afraid of, of uh, getting out of their comfort zone, so to speak, because um, I mean, Journalism often prides itself uh, on being independent and uh, disclosing hidden truths and things like that. But most journalists seem to mimic other journalists and and also seem to avoid stepping out of that, uh, as I said, comfort zone, which is uh, in a way confined by what trustworthy institutions stand behind or seem to stand behind. Uh, do, do you agree on that, that this is how yeah. it works? And do you agree that Journalists should dare to step outside of that zone, comfort zone, a little bit after. Absolutely, um, I think that um, there, you know, that the problem with groupthink in American journalism is is horrible, um, and it is a fear. For partially, it's you're you're trying to be as economical with your time as possible because there's you know kind of so much coming at you, and the, and the job is hard, you know. 
for all journalists and especially for broadcast journalists, you're trying to, you know, you're a bear on the ball trying to, to, to keep your head above water, you know, at, at all times. So it's, it's hard to keep up on everything that you need to keep up on. So, so there is, you know, kind of an economy of time. So you're trying to build off what you already know and capitalize on that. And, um, but I think the bigger problem to your point is a fear of going against what conventional wis conventional wisdom is dictating at that point. So yeah. if you go against the idea, you know, if, you know that, um, you know, Trump is all bad, you know, that's the conventional wisdom, you know, among many journalists. Yeah. Um, well, you know, if you, if you sit down and talk to some people, um, reasonable economists, they will say, well, actually there was some stuff that Trump did that, that was good. And, but you can't even like broach that subject, you know, in an editorial room or on air, you know, the, you know, in, in some of these places, uh, I can imagine. that's probably a bad ex example, but, but that type of thing. So if it's the idea that, you know, may, maybe we should be questioning some of the clients, client, climate science data. Um, you're yeah, that's and, and, and that consciousness, a, consciousness is produced by the brain. How about that? I mean, <laughs> and then there are, you know, social programs that could probably also be questioned because there are, you know, there are incentives um, that have an adverse effect um, to, to vulnerable populations as well. But the, those discussions, it's really like, it's very, very hard to have those discussions because there is definitely a group think. And if you go like raise a question like that, um, it makes people very, very nervous to like yeah. to even, you know, come out. And so it, that, that has, it's, it's a, a form of self-censorship. Yeah. Like. That's it's sad. Is is it is this the same? Does it work the same way? Is it as, as bad on on the other side, the quote unquote other side, like on, on Fox News? If uh, any journalist there would venture into uh, maybe questioning whether Biden is all bad, <laughs> we say that. Sure. Yeah. 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 I've I've talked to um, Fox journalists who have left left the network um, okay. for the same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's really it, it's it's so dumb. I mean, my God, just 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 look into things. What's the problem? How how how, right. how dangerous can it be? Right. Uh, now this this partisan thing is really a bit exotic to a European because uh, it seems like I mean, maybe it's just a, it's a laughing mirror for the the political system per se because it is. I mean, it's polar, polarized. It's just two parties. It's uh, I mean, you have independent candidates and all that but that never really works that doesn't seem to work uh, very well so it's just republicans and democrats and republicans and democrats and it's seems like no nothing is happening there and, and and now it's gone into the media landscape so it's also uh polarized it's like yeah it's like two americas really it, but it hasn't always been like this has it or i don't know i don't know what, what was i mean i think i'm a little bit older than you but i can't really remember what it was like in the seventies or eighties, was was the were the um, the cable networks more neutral and objective objective back then than than they are today? Or well, or, they didn't exist back then. They didn't exist. Well, in the eighties, they started. They began there, didn't they? They started. It was it was um, like maybe the late NBC 80s. and CNN and the um, CNN was the first. Um, MSNBC and CNN and Fox. Okay, say the nineties then. The time, but they the they didn't come about until the nineties. Yeah. Okay. Um, and for a long time until the eighties, we had what was called the fairness doctrine. So the, the what? You know, fairness doctrine. Fairness. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the fairness, fairness doctrine. doctrine. Yeah. 
I understand. And so, you know, any broadcaster um, was required, if you had a controversial topic, you were required to, to present arguments on, quote, both sides. And so um, that was killed off in the 80s by uh, uh, Republicans. Um, and uh, that kind of gave rise to people like Rush Limbaugh. So he was able to go on the, on the radio and present well, like 100, like, and he really, you know, played that up, you know, the conservative side. And he, he built a, a, a huge audience that way. And then Fox kind of replicated that on TV. And so, um, yeah, it, it uh, you know, back, you know, decades ago, there, it wasn't like this at all because the, um, you know, there were, uh, you know, there was a fairness doctrine. There was an understanding that you have to kind of try to be fair. And if you have, a, you know, one politician, you know, one candidate on who's running for office, then you have to at least offer the same amount of time to the opponent. So mm -hmm. that that um, that was the the format. But it wasn't a it was an opponent within the system anyway. I mean, it wasn't a completely different kind of representative sure if, well i mean it was going to be either you know republican and, and democrat yeah yeah you know? so it's within the same same stage play so to speak yeah 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 yes um and uh you know i the country is changing and so the demographics are changing so it's a combination of things um ezra klein wrote a book called why we're polarized and um he really explains all the different reasons why we're polar polarized. Um, there is a chapter in there on the media um, and cable news and um, media as an identity. So people now, you know, you're kind of in a tribe, you know, it's important to, you know, if either, um, you know, you know, if you identify with the MSNBC hosts or you identify with the Fox News hosts and it's a personality kind of driven sort of thing. Um, there's that. But then there are also demographics of the country um, were changing significantly, um, many more people of color. Um, and that creates divisions. Um, there's some fear, you know, among the white Americans and the idea of us versus them. And then there are also some structural issues in, in the um, uh, the electoral system as well that hmm. that kind of you know I don't you know I don't want to dig into like the issues with the house and districting and hmm. how all of that is worse and so that that creates these more extreme candidates and so that you know that that also um, increases polarization. Do you think that that the media reflects this or does the media create this primarily? I'd say probably both. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I don't know that, you know, is it the chicken or the egg that came first? Um, um, but at this point, you know, they are definitely amplifying it and, mm -hmm. and making the problem worse. They're they're feeding off of, um, you know, to a large extent, I think they're feeding off of people's fears mm -hmm. and capitalizing on that. I'm, I've been thinking about this, uh, the fear of extremism that many say is popping up in um, not just America, but also in Europe, right-wing extremism and left-wing extremism. Maybe it's also a case of us seeing clear, more clearly now what's what's going on and people also being more 
independent-minded and thinking for themselves, which they maybe didn't do in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the, the 80s. They were maybe just voting as their parents voted and they did whatever they were expected to do and think and all that. And they thought that the media was neutral because uh, that was what they've been told. But now all of a sudden the 90s came and the 2000s and the internet, um, the advent of internet and um, everybody started to looking for data and uh, information for themselves. And they they found that the landscape was significantly more complicated than they thought. And they <laughs> built up their own ideas about things. And this made the whole situation a lot more messy than it used to be. And that's what many people are afraid of. So, I mean, with that analysis, maybe it's not uh, mainly a problem. Maybe it's um, a possibility. But it, it looks messy, but it's a possibility that that we will perhaps in, in uh, on the other side of this chaos end up with a society where people are more independent-minded and more respect of, <laughs> respect each other. But I mean that looks a long way away, of course, uh, as it looks now. But um, I'm just I'm just speculating here. What what are your thoughts on that possible explanation to what's what's going on? Um. I think that there is definitely a lot of truth in what you, what you're saying, and and um, I would be hopeful in the same way. Um, I trust people if given the information um, and the opportunity to get that information that they will more often than not they're going to handle that responsibly. And um, the problem right now is the you know inundation of information. It's hard. There's so many sources out there, and it's hard, you know, for you know members of my own family to know what they can trust or not trust. They don't, you mm. know, they they aren't. They might not necessarily know where to go for for information. And there are um, there are sources out there that are not trustworthy, you know. Um, but then there are that are that that are trustworthy. Um, it could be a small you know, nonprofit churning out, you know, reports and data. It could be a government agency, but um, uh, the smaller outlets, they might not know who they are, so they might not know to trust that information. Um, so I think that to me is, is, the, is a bigger problem. It's, it's how, um, how do you choose the information that, that you're going to, have time to digest a yeah. and then b, yeah. you know, to trust yeah. it. You know? yeah, I get it. Yeah. It's just too much. You know, that I think at this point, the problem is that most people have just said, I, I, you know, I can't handle this, mm. you know, it's too much. So I'm not mm. even going to spend time on it. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to. Yeah. Know, maybe that's the soundest thing to do sometimes actually <laughs> not listening to the news at all. Just go to the beach. But <laughs> anyway, I, yeah, it's understandable that people don't don't think that they can digest all this. But on the other, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because way back people were just served uh, pieces of news, and there was no alternative. There was there were just these official pieces of news, and that was the quote-unquote truth. And it wasn't many times it wasn't the truth, but but it was perceived as that. And now there is just I mean, you have all the possibilities in the world to. To look into the to the facts yourself, but as you say, it's it's a deluge. Uh, it's so much that many just bulk. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah. Ha have yeah. you heard about the um, the Constructive Institute? No. It's a Danish uh, organization. It's a Danish former editor from from Danish National 
television, Ulrich Hagerup or Ulrich Hagerup. I think he, it's like seven or eight years ago he started this. And it's uh, because he was, he was, I mean, going back to the, the negativity bias, he, he was frustrated that, that there was so much, I mean, all the decisions that were taken of, about what to, what to um, report on, uh, on the news uh, was based on, on whether it was, um, you know, dramatic black and white uh, victim perpetrator, uh, all these conflict things. And he thought that this is not how the world looks and it's, it's not constructive, it's destructive. So we started this constructive Institute and I'm, I'm just going to, I can I can give you a link afterwards here. Uh, I think it's pretty pretty laudable initiative actually, and it ha it has this little table here where it com it um, uh, compares the old type of news um, yeah news work with with this new constructive type. Then so we have breaking news where th there are three three uh, tiers here. So the first tier is breaking news traditional then uh, time is now and the <laughs> i can't read what i feel. i can't read it's too small here uh just give me one minute I'm, i get a, a pair of glasses <laughs> okay it's good not to be to be live sometimes so you can edit yes so um sorry about that uh so breaking breaking news in breaking news time is now uh, the goal is speed. The questions are what and when. The style is dramatic. The role is police. Mm -hmm. And the focus is drama. Mm -hmm. And then you have investigative journalism where time is yesterday. The goal is to blame. Mm -hmm. The questions are who and why. The style is critical. The role is as a judge and the focus is crooks and victims, right? And then you have on the in the third row here, the third tier, constructive journalism. Constructive journalism. Mm -hmm. There, the time is tomorrow. The goal is inspiration. Questions are what now and how. The style is curious. The role is as a facilitator, and the focus is solutions and best practice. How about that? I love it. I absolutely love it. I love Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. That, that drives a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, yeah, for sure. There's, um, it's interesting. The role um, in the, the breaking news is as police. Yeah. And then the role in the investigative is judge. Um, I'm not sure what the difference there is, but it's, you know, making decisions probably without, do, you know, without, yeah, well, it's the judge uh, puts blame on somebody, you know, but the yeah. police just finds them, finds the crooks. And, right. yeah. Okay. Um, um, but the idea of, you know, letting curiosity guide you and um, genuine curiosity uh, and without prejudice um, to me is, is, is a great model. I love that. Yeah. And there is, of course, a radical metamorphosis going on in the media landscape right now. Uh, and this podcast here, this interview is an example of that. <laughs> uh, all these podcasts and all these other outlets, um, which is changing the landscape. W will this change lead to a to a sea change in in how we define news, do you think? 
in the years to come? Uh, I think it's, I mean, I think it's changing already. Um, um, you know, I put out a query on my social media last week asking people um, what they could feel like they could use or need most in terms of news. And um, so many people came back and said, I just want the truth. And, you know, I asked, you know, kind of what format, what medium, you know, what, what they feel like they, they could use the most. And um, majority of the answers came back said, I just want the truth mm. and I don't have time. You know, I want something short, you know, I, but I just want the truth. And that to me is interesting because um, I, I, my back stiffens a little bit when I hear that, because I feel like people might be saying they without realizing it they want the truth as they understand it to be yeah um and i want my truth right right and so truth um in theory is not subjective but it it, it really it can be and is because it's a not it's a there's a question of perception and where you're coming from so this is a you know a oversimplified example of that which is you know is a glass half full or half empty yeah classic. both statements are true right the glass is half empty but it also is half full but it depends on your perspective maybe you started off with a full glass and now it's only half empty right and so um i think there's gonna have to um i believe that there needs to be um better education and awareness in terms of being critical thinkers and understanding what to do with information and understanding that you might not always have the full perception or, and that I think there in general, we could probably all exercise a little more humility and understand that we don't know everything. And, and, and that means accepting someone who comes at you with a different opinion which is which can be very very difficult and so when we talk about what things are going to look look like in the future that's my hope is that we can start to create this mindfulness and this this sense of awareness that um uh n n things not aren't necessarily black and white yeah. and um and it's that that makes things harder um to understand but that is kind of the reality in, in so many or or more easier, more intuitively easier to understand, actually, because, I mean, if you look at your own life, you, you, you very quickly realize that it's not black and white in your own life, in your right. your own circles where you where you that's true. Meet your friends yeah. and your family and you know, everyday interactions. It's very complicated and you can you can love a neighbor that you've been um, uh, talking to for years and then it turns out that uh, this neighbor votes for trump or whatever and you do and you hate trump but i mean that makes it makes life complicated you you, you know it i mean uh, close by because uh, this is this is actually what's what life is life is not black and white life is very gray it's not gray in that sense but it's yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you know what i mean yeah. there are different layers and and yeah it, yeah there are yeah. and and um yeah, you, you mentioned the awareness, and uh, I don't know if you mentioned yoga and meditation here in your last what you said here just recently, but but I saw that you you uh, when you answered this uh, pre-interview form, you you mentioned yoga 
and also your meditation practices, and which I find very interesting because I'm also interested in those things, and I think that consciousness is very important here. Uh, I mean, both on the individual level and on the collective level, it, it goes together. It, it go, I mean, you can't have one without the changing one without changing the other and vice versa. So do you think that um, perhaps those techniques uh, to raise awareness about what we take in could could be a way towards a sounder media landscape and and how people will in the future be able to as you say process information and and be yeah uh i definitely think so um the matter the question is how how do you make that happen but yeah i think if if people are more mindful um that is automatically going to raise the quality of the material that's out there right now people don't know what they don't know um and they tend to you know due to the identity politics they tend to follow and support um the people who they are already agree with and um people feel like they don't have enough time uh to to really dedicate but they they um i think it's you know your civic duty to to inform yourself um fully even if it's you know information that goes against your natural biases and that, that goes both ways. Um, and uh, the more mindful we are, the more um, uh, as audiences, e even if you stay in a commercial format, that's going to increase the demand for better quality news, right? And, so, you know, audiences are going to, you know, if they disregard something as, 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 um, banal or dumb not really informing them which is how i right now i'm judging a lot of these sources um people are going to tune out and then that's going to force the outlets to create better material that keeps people watching yeah um i don't you know um and and so the audience has a responsibility as far as i'm concerned here yeah. um and in, the in the best of worlds, this would be self-regulatory, so to speak. I mean, if 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 the audience is wise, they would stop stop uh, listening and watching dumb TV news. <laughs> Do something right. else. Yeah, yeah, but that's um, that's that a easy. very long road. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know? very long. So, but uh, but is this something like that you're actively working with and and uh, actively and concretely working with right now uh, to to make people to help people to raise their awareness about? Um, information in in this way like promoting meditation uh, uh, mindfulness I, whatever i have started um writing posts on my social media um to that effect and i am frankly a little bit um i I'm, I'm trying to do it gently because i feel like i'm afraid to be honest i'm afraid of um pushing away people as soon as you say yoga or meditation, I feel like that might, it, it's hard for some people to to grasp that idea. Or yeah, understand I, I know what you're saying. Yes. Or yes, it, like definitely. they automatically like, you know, are going to say. Have, you have to tread, a, tread carefully. A, yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I've started working that into my, my post and combining um, some of the, the, the inner teachings of yoga have nothing to do with the physical. I mean, it's all 
connected the physical practice, but it, the, the point of the physical practice is to help the inner um, growth of, of a person. And um, that then extends to your relationships with people that extends to your relationship with the world. And so I've been trying to write that and I'm, I'm looking for a way um, to, to communicate that on a more regular basis and, um, and hoping to find a way that is compelling and um, does engage people rather than push them away. Yeah. You're also talking about uh, an awareness, uh, public awareness campaign. Maybe that's part of the same thing here, but how, how do you see that come about? A public awareness Well, the public campaign? awareness is what we're doing right now. I think having yeah. open discussions about how the media works, um, yeah. frank discussions. Um, I think that's, that's a part of it. I, I'd love to see a more concerted effort. Um, there seems to be quite a demand for this kind of, these kind of long podcasts, for instance. I mean, people talking, talking for an hour or even more which is surprising to some, but uh, it seems as there, there is a demand for it. I feel like there is, and I don't understand. I feel like there could be, you know, should be a paid advertising campaign, you know, posting on social media saying, you know, just beware, you know, there are some things that you need to be aware. And, and that would probably get to more people, you know, um, putting it where they already are. So, you know, getting that, you know, or, you know, paying for ads on cable news saying, you know, I, it would be the, kind of a, a, a tall order to try to, to, to get those ads placed there. But that's the idea of trying to um, make the audience a little more aware that this person looks like your friend, but it might not really be your friend. So, mm -hmm. um, and I think there is a way to, to go about that and um, uh, get those ads out there. So I think social media is probably, um, a good place to do that but that none of that exists right now you know there isn't um you know there's there are some campaigns related to digital information and social media um and there are some programs that are in schools in terms of you know beware of social media but there isn't as much related to um tv news or or commercial news um no it should come with a warning sign <laughs> what's that it should come with a warning sign. <laughs> well, I, I also feel like there could be, you know, some sort of, and this again is is dangerous, but some sort of a rating system for yeah. for the quality of news that you're getting. And I, there's a, something called NewsGuard that's out there. But you know, our, our, when movies come out here, they're rated. You know, you give them a rating based on the content. Yeah. Um, hmm. I feel like we should be able to generate some something similar here. On the other hand, is there's always a risk when you, when some people, because it's always people doing this. Some people have decided that this, this news outlet should be rated in this of or course. that way. Or I mean, of it's course. it's always you can always question. So that's okay, why I was who, thinking. Who says who? I mean, says who? I, I want to decide think, by myself for myself. Um, I don't think it should be any small group number of people it could be something that's crowdsourced yeah the wisdom of the crowd yeah sure yeah. sounds good so what would the news media of your dreams look like oh gosh um <laughs> uh of my dreams first of all it, they would not be getting the ratings every day they would be you know making editorial decisions based on um their uh you know journalistic skill and um, uh, knowledge. And um, 
I think it would be very diverse, much more diverse than what we have now. Um, uh, that includes, um, you know, racial background, geography. Right now, you know, the new so much of the news just comes from the you know we call it the Selleck corridor between New York and D.C. and yeah. um, um, unless there's a natural catastrophe someplace else in the country, we don't hmm. get a lot of news. Then we take from. a chopper to down to Louisiana. Yeah. Or if there's, you know, some, you know, nasty election happening in Arizona or Texas, yeah. you know, you'll, they'll cover that. But they aren't, you know, and I think that we need, you know, different types of voices that really, re you know, the United States is, is a big country with lots of different types of people. So I think that would probably benefit and, and start to um, break down that us versus them um, perception, you yeah. know. Um, and, you know, I, I, side note, you know, I've got family members who are very different from me politically, but we still have a lot in common. You know, we whether it be music or food or, you know, hobbies. And I think that we could probably express that in some way um, through a news media um, and without being hokey about it. But I think there is a, is a way of, you know, kind of showing that we there is a common denominator between all of us. Um, and that would would help. Eliminate right now. The the big problem is the us versus them and mm. the tribalism that mm. um, people are so entrenched. And uh, I feel like anything that would help break that down um, would improve and and make people then would let allow them to accept other ideas a little bit easier than than what they are now. So um, uh, I think people are gonna still look for video content. So as quote TV dies off and everybody goes online, there's still gonna be video type content. And so right now, you know, that, you know, the distribution is gonna change, but I think the content is probably gonna stay the same unless we really create a different type of content and awareness um, surrounding that. Great, yeah. Talking about the polarization and the us versus them thing, you're also involved in something called Starts With Us. Uh, it's a movement to overcome extreme political and cultural division in America. That sounds like a laudable initiative. What, what is that? Yeah, um, it was founded by uh, Daniel Lebetsky. He founded the Kind Snack Bar Company, which um, I don't know if you um, are familiar with them, but they're, you know, uh, snack bars, protein bars that are healthy and also very tasty and delicious. So he kind of was able to, um, uh, and he's done a lot of work also in the Middle East, um, but he was able, he capitalized on that idea and he um, has funded this organization called Starts With Us because he's, he's, he, he's really trying to create civilized conversations and um, a lot of right now, a lot of that work is on social media, but it, it, they're looking for ways to really engage people um, across the spectrum. And um, they reached out to me early on after I resigned. And then um, when that organization launched last year, they asked me to be a founding member. So I've been doing, you know, different um, events with them on social media and trying to develop um, other initiatives going forward, whether it's kind of a podcast type sort of thing or a documentary um so that that's 
to me that that's a favorable positive partnership yeah. and, and project wonderful ariana where can people find you now if they want to know more about you and your your work what you're doing um well i have my website uh arianapicari.net um there's a contact page there i always love to hear from people um i am and still independent i have not you know um joined any other organization quite yet as i um you know for the first couple of years i i after i resigned the past two years after i resigned i was i was trying to build an organization maybe whether it's a nonprofit, um and uh it, I, I don't want to say I failed, but I have not been able to make that happen quite yet. But um, I've had to kind of go through a different process. And um, I uh, I will be, I've been revamping my approach uh, about all of this. And um, so I, I, at this point, I'm still independent. So that my website, my personal website is the way to, way to contact me and yeah. um if you have ideas <laughs> please let me know wonderful ariana picari it's been a true pleasure talking to you today and uh, now good luck with your commendable work with renewing the news and creating healthy journalism thank you thank you it's been great talking to you as well mm -hmm.